0: Welcome to the Preaching Podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. 22 of Revelation chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see." As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you. You may be seated. And just again, a, a brief reminder on at least how we've outlined this coming into this. Each one of these, we've looked at four things about the churches: uh, the characterization of Christ to the church, the comprehension of Christ of His church, the counsel of Christ to His church, and the consolation of Christ in His speaking to them. And the same applies to this church. The order is a little different. Uh, because of how things are phrased to them and the, the way the Lord frames His Word to them. We looked a couple of weeks ago at the characterization, the fact that Christ characterizes Himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The Amen deals with His accuracy. So be it, the word means, or uh, verily or truly. Uh, what the Lord is going to say is accurate. It is a, a, an accurate statement of that. Give me just a second here. I've... Is now. It's a bad. Try that. Okay, so back again to verse 14. He is the Amen that speaks of his accuracy, the faithful and true witness, again of his accuracy, but also of his authenticity. He is faithful and true in what he says. He will not violate the truth. And then he speaks of him being the beginning of the creation of God. This deals with his authority. And so when the Lord Jesus is going to speak, it's no wonder he introduces himself this way to this church. He's going to say some things to them that they are probably not going to want to hear, but it's important that they understand that his word is final, that his judgment concerning their spiritual state is accurate. I think there are seeds of revival in texts like this and... and I know, I'm in thinking back over years of preaching, texts like this I have approached many times because I think there are, there are revival seeds in it. So, for instance, there's a point where Jesus tells His disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, of the Sadducees, which is hypocrisy. They beware of the leaven, and they heard, we forgot to take bread. They completely misunderstood what He said. Their perception was wrong. And it just goes to show us how easy it is for us to have a wrong spiritual perception. We need the Word of God to give us light, to open our eyes. Here's a church that its view of its own spiritual state was miles removed from the truth. And so one of the easiest deceptions in the world is self-deception. I think it's one of the easiest deceptions to fall for and one of the hardest deceptions to be delivered from. Uh, Because we're self-deceived, God has to intervene and help us to see things clearly, and that's what He's doing here for this church. I, I I believe this. I think many churches in this country are being spoken to in this way. Because in America, we are materially blessed, it gives us the feeling and the sense that we are succeeding by material blessings, whether at the individual level or at a family level or at a church level, and that is a misperception. We, we whether we... We try to or not often do have the idea that gain is godliness, and that's not factual. It's not true. Uh, give me just a second. I'm going to rearrange my microphone and put it in a different spot and see if we can see if that's better. And so then, the characterization of Christ. He is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Number two, the comprehension of Christ. He jumps right in and says, verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Uh, So then, he goes on to warn them in some things in verse 16 through 18, but in verse 15, his comprehension says, I know thy works. Uh, He speaks of their complacency. I know that thou art neither cold nor hot. We said much about that a couple weeks ago, so I won't go over that again. And then, of course, their condition, where they were, is I would that thou wert, meaning this church was not in the will of God. They were not what he would have them be. Uh, They were lukewarm, and he said, no, I want you either cold or hot. You're not what I want you to be. Then the counsel of Christ begins in verse 16. We got into this a couple weeks ago, and I'll reiterate this again. Uh, Verse 16 through 18, he says, So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked... I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And so three things, uh, two things we saw under his counsel, his warning, verse 16, so then because you're lukewarm, because of your spiritual state, I am going to spew you out of my mouth. He warns them that he will not tolerate their spiritual state. They are disgusting to him. Their spiritual condition was despicable. I want us to get very practical on this. Um, When we look across the country, you have what we call today the mega church, okay? Uh, I am not opposed to God growing a church. I do find in Scripture, when the church at Jerusalem grew so big, God didn't let it stay that way. I really don't find any church in the New Testament that the Lord allowed to stay so enormous. That is not His plan, that doesn't seem to be His plan. He wants us to go and preach the gospel. And so uh, we really don't find that temple of trying to build something great for God. I had this thought this week in studying. Last night we were dealing with the young men in the class on the abuse of Scripture, uh, how, how set the Scripture gets abused uh, by Satan and by those that he uses. And so in Matthew chapter 4, Satan quotes Scripture. He's abusing it. And what he is essentially tempting the Lord Jesus to do is to do something great to prove that he is the Son of God. Now, if you tried that tactic on the Lord Jesus, don't you think he'll try it on us? What you need to do is do something so great for God that every unbeliever in the world will see it. Nobody has to have faith. You just took away all their reason for unbelief by the mighty. If Jesus, if you'll cast yourself down from the temple, everyone will know you're the son of God. But God already said he was the son of God, didn't he? In his word, did he not? So what he's saying is they need a sign. You need a sign. You need to prove. Sometimes we get the mentality, we need to prove to an unbelieving world that we truly are the people of God and that we truly have the truth. Well, God's already said that in his word. And if we're not careful, we try to build something big enough for God that the world will go, wow, look at those people. They really must be God's people. Look at the great things they do. And many times we fall into the snare of the devil. The pride of life gets a hold of us. So today, there's many a church, they're running 5,000 on a Sunday morning. I think of a church right now, it is in the Southern Baptist Convention. They're running thousands of people. I've watched this church. I think they, they, run, they have a membership of, I don't know, seven, 8,000 people, run 5 or 6 on a Sunday morning. I've personally watched this church go from hymns and choir music and Bible preaching uh, they, they transitioned from a King James Bible years ago to the newer translations. Today, they have a worship band with blue and purple lights and rock and roll music on Sunday mornings. Uh, they have a, a man that's leading their so-called worship uh, that you would not be able to tell was not part of a Metallica band or something like that. People that are, that are marked up with the markings of the world. Look, I understand if you, that happened before you got saved. You can't help that. Cover that up. Do what you can but when you're doing that supposedly as a Christian and we're looking like the world, sounding like the world, and then they've completely shifted everything, but, and I was asked by someone who's actually part of that church, do you think, do you, think you would be willing to talk to some of the folks? Because I expressed my concerns about them being in that church. Would you talk to somebody here in leadership? I said, well, I would if they would talk to me, but I'm very doubtful anything I have to say would be heard. Now, let's walk through this. Why would that be? What would be the reason that a church like that is unwilling to consider that they're doing some things wrong. What's the number one reason that they would say we don't need correction? Because they're successful, and that success is measured by what? Attendance, buildings, material goods. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's perfect picture right here. By the way, Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, I understand we're small. But what if God started growing us? What if God started increasing the numbers? Or what if we started seeing numbers increase? We might think, well, hey, look at us. You know what? We measure success by obedience to God's word. That's success as a Christian. Am I faithful to the will of God? So here's a church that's not being faithful to Christ. Their spiritual temperature is tepid. They are not hot. They're not on fire. They're not quitters to just, they're mediocre. They're in between. They're indifferent, and the Lord said, I, "I'm not going to tolerate that." So He warns him to spew them out of His mouth. I mean, I will quit. I, I'm not going to tolerate this in 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 my presence. And so then His wisdom to them, He gives them in verse seventeen some illumination when He says, "Because thou sayest, here's what here's your perceptions, what you say about yourself. This is your self-profession. I'm rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not." He said, "Here's what you don't know, and knowest not that thou art." wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, I want us to, to, to let this soak in a little bit. Many times we believe this. God communicates, number one, personally to us as we spend time in his word, read the scriptures, study the scriptures. But he ordained preaching as a means to communicate to his church. Paul told Timothy, preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Can, can, can you imagine preaching in our day that tells a church you're wretched? The word wretched means utterly miserable. It carries the idea of being worthless, paltry, of being very poor or mean, such as a wretched poem or a wretched cabin. And so those are examples of how that word might be used to be despicable, HATEFULLY, VILE, AND CONTEMPTIBLE. Well, that's a good adjective. The Lord Jesus would never call anybody wretched. Right? He would. In fact, He called His own. Why did He say they were wretched? This is difficult. Mm, Because they were. Spiritually, they were in a deficit spiritually, they were deficient in faith. They were deficient in the love of God. They were deficient in joy. They were deficient in wisdom. That is abundantly clear. These people had no wisdom. They could not perceive and comprehend spiritual things. These people were extremely deficient. So they're wretched and miserable. Miserable means exactly what you think it does, to be pitiable, miserable. They were miserable and poor and naked and blind I mean the Lord the Lord has some adjectives for this church he has not one good thing to say about them not one he he doesn't say well you're poor and naked and blind but no he has no good thing to say about them this ought to tell us what he what our savior thinks of spiritual mediocrity spiritual indifference spiritual um, lax, or and I believe this it is spiritual lukewarmness is indicated by I'm not giving my hand wholly to the work of God, but I'm also not willing to quit. I'm not going to pour my heart into it, but I'm not going to quit. I'll come, and I you know I used some of these illustrations a, a couple weeks ago. I'll come to church and I'll be faithful to church, but that's it. I'm going to come, I'm going to go, so I can say you know I'm in church. That's fine, um, but I'm not going to involve myself. I'm not going to you know I'm not going to throw my heart. And we're going to sing the hymns. I'll open up to the the page and I'll I'll word the, the words through, but. You know, I'm just ready for it to be done. So I'll go home. I'll do my duty. It is so easy to become spiritually mediocre. I'll, I'll open my Bible. I'll read, sure. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm not going to dig in. I'm not going to look for answers. And we, we get to where we're going through the motions of spiritual exercise. Remember, this was still a church, meaning they were still assembling. They hadn't quit assembling. But their spiritual temperature is, is mediocre. And so the Lord gives them some illumination. He gives them wisdom, Uh, illuminates. He speaks of their ignorance. He gives them some instruction. Verse 18, I counsel thee. That's why it's under the word His counsel. I counsel thee to buy gold of me tried in the fire. Remember that gold is, is a type of the word of God. And by the way, we buy things from Him by faith. Everything is purchased from God by faith. I counsel thee to buy of me gold Tried in the fire. In Psalm 19, the word of God is likened to gold uh, and that his, his, his word is more precious than gold, yea, than fine gold, sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Wisdom is likened to gold. In Proverbs chapter 2, gold and silver and precious riches, wisdom is likened to that. So buy of me gold tried in the fire, meaning take my word in exchange for your own ideology. You trade that in. Uh, Counseling, buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment. You know he's dealing with there their conduct. Raiment is what man sees. We dealt with this two weeks ago, but the idea of righteous conduct—you're not behaving in a godly way. You're 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 seen. All we can see is your natural man. So we dealt with all those things. So buy me white raiment that you may be clothed. And um, and then he goes on to say and and, uh, and then to, to get from him eyesab, uh, anoint thine eyes with eyesab, speaking of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that thou mayest see. Then he's going to want. Go on. This brings us to our, our, our point tonight. In verse 19 through 22, the consolation of Christ, he begins to explain his heart toward this church and why he's speaking to them the way he is. By the way, there are three things. If you want to write this down, I think it helps to retain some of this here. They, they had... Uh, Their values were wrong, so they had wrong values. They valued things differently than the Lord Jesus Christ did. They were lacking in values, they were lacking in virtue, and they were lacking in vision. Values, virtue, and vision were out of kilter with this church, as it is so many today. And so then, verses 19 through 22, his consolation, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, for the establishment of this important truth in our lives, and the Christian needs to get a hold of this, one of the marks of the Lord's love is His willingness to rebuke us and to chasten us. Throughout Scripture, the Bible says, if a father will not chasten his son, he hates him. It's the father who hates his son that will refuse to use the rod and reproof. We are told today... We wish you know children just need love, so we don't use corporal punishment. look, God's word is very clear. you don't abuse a child. you'd be better to have a millstone hang around your neck and be cast in the sea. But how many of us understand that the God who said, if you offend a little one, you're better off to have a millstone hang around your neck is also the same one that instructed us to use the rod and reproof and correct them. So obviously, you can use a rod and reproof in love. in fact, God says very clearly. He that hateth his son will not rebuke him, won't reprove him. One of the aspects and marks of love of a father is a willingness to chasten and correct his children. The Lord Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. This is not something mentioned once in the Bible, not mentioned twice in the Bible, but three times the Holy Spirit of God went to the length to say, the mark of my love for you is my willingness and my action in correcting you chastening and rebuking you. So I want to go through and look at those tonight because the Lord Jesus says it here. May I say this? A church that never gets a rebuke is a church that's not experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. It is a mark of his love that he tells us when we're wrong. The Bible says reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Proverbs tells us that. How many of you know your natural man just loves being reproved? This is something we all must reckon with. None of us likes it. None of us likes being told, you're wrong. We, we enjoy, and, and there's a time, by the way, there's a time for affirmation. Isn't that what he gave all the other six churches? Did he not Did he not um, commend and correct all the other ones? You know, I didn't commend this one. There was nothing commendable. He won't change his honesty to make us feel better. The Lord's going to tell us the truth If we are spiritually out of sorts with him, he's going to tell us the truth. Why? Because he loves us. In a world that says true love affirms the individual, meaning you just affirm. If if little Johnny thinks he's a girl, you love him and affirm him and then start calling little Johnny her and that'll show him you love him. No, it doesn't. It shows you hate him. That shows you're more concerned with Johnny being happy with you than being what God wants him to be. And that's not correct. And so God loves us enough, our Savior loves us enough to tell us when we're wrong. Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3. The Bible says every word should be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And if we're not careful, we, we'll let false teachers today teach us what the love of God looks like rather than the Bible teach us what the love of God looks like. May I say this? This is why... Bible churches, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, God-loving, Christ-honoring churches are seeing a lot of decline today. Any preacher that has been called of God and is being used of God is going to have a ministry that, yes, exhorts, but it also reproves and rebukes. Remember, preaching is made up of three, three, three basic ingredients. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. You notice two out of three of those are negative. Why is the preaching so negative? You just have to talk to the Lord about that. <laughs> and maybe it's because we need so much help. Amen. How often do I need reproved? Daily. I do. That's not, that's not rhetoric. I need God's reproof daily. I need Him to come alongside me and shepherd me. No, that's not the way to go. Now, I want to get good enough at listening to Him that He doesn't have to constantly be on my case, right? but we need is reproof and rebuke and exhortation. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, My son, despise not, thou, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of His correction. For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth, even as a father the son in whom He delighteth. If my memory serves me correct, I didn't jot it down in my notes, Job mentions the same thing, that God chastens His children. And so go, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. So Proverbs 3 tells us the mark of God's love. It tells us, don't be weary with his correction. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Hebrews 12 references what Proverbs says. When it says this in Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 5, we'll read down to verse 11. You're familiar with this text. It says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. We could all say amen to that, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised. Thereby, Verse 12 says, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down the feeble knees, verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But Let it rather be healed. We get the the, the picture here repeatedly, and then again in Revelation chapter 3, the Lord Jesus said, As many as I love, I chasten and rebuke. Three times in your Bible, the Spirit of God connects His love for you with His discipline for you. Meaning, I am more than willing to cause you emotional, perhaps even physical, and spiritual pain in order to help you. You know, and if, if our goal is comfort, we're not going to be walking with the Lord very long. Now, I'm not saying He sets out to make our world uncomfortable. That's not what I'm saying. But I will say this. When we're wrong, He's going to love us enough to put some pain in our lives to get our attention. Many times we misread God's chastening of our life as we get angry, we get mad. You know what you know what the warning was over and over? Despise not the chastening of the Lord. Don't get upset with the Lord when he starts dealing with you. I'll be honest with you. I think many of his churches in this country are being chastened. There are things that have occurred to our churches that are that are painful, they're difficult, they're hard to bear. There are some areas where... And I've can really i been an independent Baptist all my life, so I can only speak of independent Baptist churches with some level of understanding. But there are areas that, by and large, as independent Baptist churches, we've kind of said, well, I eh, the Bible says that, but we're not going to really deal with that. No, 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 we can't ignore the Word of God. If we're on fire for the Lord, every word that He says should matter to us. And what happens as we obey the Lord, the Lord will bless obedience and there will be fruitfulness. And if we're not careful, we think our fruitfulness means we never need correction. Not so. Not so. We need his correction, and because he loves us. Again, I I don't think I can overemphasize this. He took time in multiple places in the Bible to say, the mark of my love for you is my chastisement of you. I want to tell you something. I watch parents who will not discipline their children, and I immediately know they don't love that child very much. So who are you to judge? I'm not. God made that judgment. You realize what we're doing to children when won't, we won't discipline them? We are ruining them. I'm say this As a pastor, there are times that we deal with adults and you go, I sure wish your parents had disciplined you. I'm not being unkind. I don't mean any unkindness. But you meet people and you realize they've never been told no. They've never been given pain for bad decisions. And so they grow up and I guarantee you law enforcement could tell you the same thing. I wish your parents had spanked you. I wouldn't have to cuff you. And so then, it's a reminder to us as parents, let's follow our Lord's example. Love our children enough to be diligent about their discipline. i going got news for you. I, I have a much stronger appreciation for the love of my parents at 42 than I did at 14. My parents loved me just as much when I was 14, but I didn't feel like they loved me as much because they were more than willing to tell me no when I needed it, and they were more than willing to put some pain into my life when I was making stupid decisions. I am grateful for that today. But I realize it more that afterward it yieldeth the peaceful fruits of righteousness. Aren't you glad that the Lord, when you start veering off course and making bad decisions, comes in and chastens you, corrects you, puts something in your life so you can register that decision brought about this consequence? Uh, So the Lord says to the church of the Laodiceans, listen, I am rebuking you and chastening you because I love you. You know what? This church was not getting warm, fuzzy messages from God. Boy, I'm so proud of you, Laodiceans. You have such a beautiful building you've built for me. I'm sure people walk by and see your beautiful building and say, wow, what a wonderful Lord. No, (laughs) no. I am so proud of you. You, you know, you, you're doing all these wonderful things. Now I've told you this, and I've told you this, and you're ignoring my word. You're not obeying me. But look how big your church is. Why? No, no, no. They, they weren't getting that. You are wretched, miserable, poor, naked, blind. And let me just be very clear. You can be a big church and be absolutely right with God. I, I want to be very clear on that tonight. But the fact of the matter is, this church was increasing, and goods and all those things. The Lord said, "I'm, I'm not pleased with you." And then he explains, and the reason I am being so sharp with you, his word was sharp to them, is because I love you. As many as I, as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And then what does he say? He provokes them at the end of verse 19. So with the verse, first part of verse 19, we see his proclamation to them. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Then his provocation of them, he says, be zealous, therefore. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. There are three words that when stated sincerely are an expression of a repentant heart. I am wrong. We have a hard time with that, and I know. Uh, Somebody right now is thinking we're Sester Shire sauce. I know you are. (laughs) Three of the hardest things to say. I forget what they all are. I am wrong. I am sorry, and we're we're Sester Shire sauce. That's not where we're going tonight. (laughs) We have a hard time acknowledging when we are wrong. Opportunity this week to spend spend some time, quality time, with two aged men. They're both at a point in their life they're having no trouble saying, I have lived my life very wrong. Guilt, grief. One said to me, What was I thinking? In fact, they both said that to me. Both said this, I knew better. These are men way up in years. Having no problem saying, I've been wrong. I mean, I, I have been wrong. And that refreshes me. Number one, it refreshes me. There's a God who can move and work even in people that have a hard time saying I'm wrong. And God still gives repentance, by the way. It's a, repentance is a gift from God. Do we realize that tonight? I hear a lot of debate over repentance. You hear it on the Internet see it. Repentance is a work. Repentance is agreeing with God, not a work. Come on. People that teach that, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be ungodly, They need to get some biblical sense about them. Repentance is not a work; it, re- it produces some works, no more than faith is a work. You know what repentance is? It's the result of believing God. If this church believes Jesus Christ, what they're going to have to do? Repent. They think we're doing great. He says you're not. So therefore, change your mind. You think you're great. I say you're not. You prefer my word over your opinion. And not that what it boils down? That's, that's what brings revival is when we say the Lord is right. You know what it takes to repent, though? You know what Jesus says here? You're going to, have to be zealous. You're going to have to get some motivation. You're going to have to get some stir in your soul. And he's talking to Christians here. This is not the unbelievers. This is not repentance that brings salvation. We're talking about repentance of uh, unto revival, to awakening, to, to restored fellowship with the Lord. Be zealous, therefore. You know what he's calling them to? Revival. That's what zeal is, a fire inside that brings about some different thinking. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You're wrong. Your view of yourself is skewed. You've congratulated yourself on what a wonderful Christian you are, and you're not. Be zealous. Get, get on fire and repent, Turn, change your mind about your own spiritual state. You're not well. You're not doing good. Your increased goods mean nothing to me. You're poor. You're deficient in the knowledge of the word of God. You're deficient in wisdom. Your life is, is, is exposed. Your sinful flesh exposed. You need to put on some righteousness and be like myself. And yeah, he's, he's, You need to get some eyes so you can see. And he says, be zealous and repent. Uh, that's what he calls them to. I believe this. And I understand not, not every church is in need of this message, but most in this country are, and that we need to awaken to see things the way God sees them. And so his proclamation, his provocation, letter C, verses 20 and 21 is his promise. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now we quote this verse as a salvation verse. We quote it in Sunday school. Jesus stands at the door of your heart knocking and there's truth in that, but really the honest, the door of salvation is open. You just walk through it. This is not a salvation verse, this is a fellowship verse. This is his church, and you realize where he's at. You've heard this preached before, but he's on the outside. I would assume this is probably a church that was a pretty tolerant church. They weren't tolerating him because he didn't congratulate them. <laughs> Come in and tell us how wonderful we are. Please, come, come, come. If Jesus shows up, he's just going to get on to us. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear how great we are. We want to hear some affirming messages that tell us how, how good we are. We really, we really are. You, know, you hear a lot of the preaching that's going on teaching today, and it is. It's, it's, it is just self-affirming so much of what has become popular in our day. There's good preaching in this country. But so much of what has become popular is just we want to affirm you. Uh, God loves you so much, God loves you so much that he was willing to change his character just to have a relationship with you. No. no. God loves you so much, he was willing to pay the cost to change your character so you can have fellowship with him. And that's a big difference, isn't it? And so we hear so much of that today. It's so affirming of people and how wonderful they are. And so it's, it's Christ stands out there because if he comes in, he's going to say, you're not as wonderful as you think. Right? That's the way that often works, and so he's on the outside. Here's what I find amazing. How did Jesus describe himself to the church of Philadelphia? Let's go back there and read very quickly. He says to the church of the Philadelphia. Philadelphia um, let me back up just a little bit. Give me just a moment. Forgive me. Um, verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the... Key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Now, if you've got the key and you can open and shut, and you open it, no man shuts it, and you shut it, no man opens it, meaning I got the power to open any door I want, why is he knocking? He's got the key. I ain't going to fly with Calvinism now. (laughs) You're right. It's the truth. My my dad has preached for years. The Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect gentleman. He will not force himself into your life. This is his church, is it not? It it would be like this. It would be like uh, one of my kids having their own place, older boys have their own place. Let's say they said, Dad, here's a key to our house. And I thought, you know, I can go barge in on them. But I'll respect that that's their living quarters. So When I go to their house, I'm going to knock instead of just barging in. You know, I am the dad. I mean, you know, We could do that you know, even far greater. He's our Savior. It's his church. But he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, and open the door. Meaning, if you are interested enough in me, my word to let me in, I'll sup with you. We'll fellowship together. I won't come in uninvited though. I'll stand out there and knock until somebody says I want to come in. How many of you and maybe I'm the only person who's ever done this your phone rings you look at it and you go that one's going to voicemail <laughs> I know who that is and I do not want that conversation right now. I say pastor you are a pastor. You're not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to stay spiritual if I can on sometimes. It has to happen, right? Nope, that one's going to voicemail right now. How many of you ever had somebody knocking? Sometimes we go out door knocking, right? And we watch people in the living room. I kid you not. We went with the boys a few weeks ago. and We were up here on one of these roads. They walked to the door. Young man runs out in the truck, laid down in the truck and hid. Can I get a witness? Did it not happen? Braid, did it happen? He hid in the truck. You know what he's saying? I do not want to talk to you. (laughs) That's his prerogative. If he would have said, I don't want to talk to you, we would have been really mean and been like, okay, have a good day. We'll go talk to somebody else. If somebody knocked on your door and, and they knew you were home and they knocked and they knocked and they knocked and you know they're knocking, but you won't answer the door, you tell me why the door is not being opened. I do not want to have a conversation with you, right? The Lord says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm willing to come in and be closer to you if you're willing to have me, but I won't uninvited. As a church, we need to get a hold of this. There are times God starts sending messages our way saying, you kind of pushed me out and I want to be closer to you, but I won't unless you let me you will be no closer to an individual or a church than we allow him to be. You realize in drawing nigh to God, who has to initiate that matter? He's draw, he, look, he's already made the first step. He came down from heaven and paid for our sins. Then he says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Meaning we have to say, Lord, I want, I want to be near you. Now, we understand how the Lord speaks. We know his word is always going to be truth. and So sometimes we'd say, you know, I really don't want to hear from him right now. If he starts talking, I'm going to feel worse about myself, and I'm pretty comfortable with who I am right now. So how about we keep the Lord at a distance? I don't want to hear that kind of preaching. I don't want to, I don't want to read that text of Scripture. know, I, I, don't, I don't want the Lord actually speaking to me in a way that I can hear him. So let's just keep him at a distance. We're having a good enough time without him. I've heard a lot of preachers say about churches in America, the problem with us is we have figured out how to do church without the Lord. We've figured out how to run programs. And I'm not, we're all for organization, really. The Lord organized. He said, you make him sit down by 50s and 100s. Organization is not a sin. In fact that you will sin without it, some level. But the fact of the matter is, if we can organize church so well that we don't need the, the Spirit of God to bless and work, and, then where's he at? No, we need him. We need him speaking to us, working in us. And Here he is outside knocking on the door, present but not close. Was he with? He was there, but not near. But here's his promise Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, you realize he's speaking to the church, but how does he address his promise to the individual? If any man, you, look, the whole church doesn't have to vote on this. You, I believe this. You can be in the middle of a lukewarm church and near the Lord because of this promise. If any man hear my voice, and, uh, we'll, and and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You understand what supping is? It's fellowship. We'll dine together. Huh? We'll, we'll sit down over the Word of God and we'll, we'll have communion and fellowship. I'll sup with him and he with me. What a promise. Here's the promise. One may say, oh, well, we're, this is the, my fear about, well, we're in the Laodicean church age. It's a lukewarm age. It's lukewarm. No, nobody has to be lukewarm. In the middle of a, of a nation that is spiritually uh, getting colder by the day, if any person wants nearness to the Lord Jesus, they've got it. He promised, I'm knocking. If you'll open the door, I'll come in, sup with you, you with me. Why would we need a promise like this and it be to point it out that it's to the individual? Because we often, will, use, in our nature, will it use the sins of others to excuse our own doesn't matter what the guy down the pew is doing. I should have fellowship with the Savior, nearness with the Savior. So he knocks us. If you'll let me in, if you'll go open the door, I'll come in, sup with you and you with me. You know what? He's got everything we need. He's got the apparel. He's got the eye salve. He's got the gold. You've got to let him in if he's going to give it to us. And So he promises communion, verse 20. He promises a crown in verse 21. To him that overcometh. Here's that promise he gives to each church. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne to sit down with him in his throne is a promise to rule and reign with him it's we are promised crowns for faithfulness James 1 12 blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he's tried he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him You realize everything in regard to our relationship with the Lord boils down to do we love him when Peter needed to be reinstated into service you know what Jesus said lovest thou me Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then do what I want you to do. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Do you want to have some fellowship together or not? Do you want to sit down and sup together? you want me to feed you and us eat together or not? That's up to you. If you've ever, for those of us who are married, I would hate to have a relationship to where every day I have to say to Jenny Beth, you know what, I would like to have, we, we've made a habit of having breakfast together. We, in the mornings, have breakfast, we talk with each other before we get our day started, kind of uh, spend that time together. That's our, that's our time. But if every morning I'm at the table and I'm like, where is she? And I go and she's playing solitaire, and I say, you want breakfast? Well, I mean, yeah, if you want me to. Um, I was doing this. Well, I, I would like to stand and have breakfast with you. We can talk. Do I have to I'll get the nine millimeter? Come on to breakfast. What kind, of, what kind of relationship would that be? The Lord will not twist your arm to be in fellowship with him. He wants you to want what he wants. And so then the promise is if you do and you overcome, I'll, I'll, I'll commune with you, but I'll also give you a crown. We know we overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, Revelation 12, 11. We overcome by faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. But the promise is we rule and reign with him. What What do they need to overcome in the Laodicean church? Lukewarmness. Being content to have him on the outside, being content to have a church that was operating completely without the assistance of the Savior. They were operating just fine without him. Do we really have to overcome that? I shared with you a few weeks ago, I prayed for our church in 2017. It was the first time I thought, ooh, well, I'm going to tell you what we need to overcome in the next few years. Indifference. God got us established, gave us a building, has sent a missionary out of this church. At that time, that wasn't done yet. We might say, hey, we exist. We're established. Jolly good for us. Look at us. Here we go. Now let's just cruise along. No, no, no. No, no. We, we, need, we ought not be content to come to ten services in a row without hearing from our Lord without hearing him speak specifically and personally to us, without him giving us some clear direction in our lives, some instruction, correction, confirmation, consolation, some, something through his word, and we can go weeks and weeks and weeks on end without God speaking personally to us, there's a spiritual problem, whether through our devotions or assembly or both. And so then, are we content to live with that? You know what? Mediocrity and lukewarmness is an enemy to be overcome how we overcome it? When he starts saying, you're not welcoming in me into this aspect of your life. Are you letting the Lord speak into every part of your life? Are you letting him speak into your desires? Are you letting him speak uh, about your spiritual state? Are you listening? Are you willing to accept his words of rebuke and chastisement and correction? Or we say, you know what? Let's keep it on the outside. Mediocrity, lukewarmness is something we must overcome. When we do, there's a promise. Of a crown. Then finally, verse 22, his his plea that he makes with each he that hath an ear, here it is to the individual again. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. If you've got an ear for my voice, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm. You know what? Every person in this room tonight that's saved, you better mark mediocrity and lukewarmness down as an enemy of your soul. It is a dangerous enemy. I was talking to Brian when we were back in Pennsylvania, and we both agreed that one of the most deadly and dangerous sins, the child of God, is the sin of neglect. Sins of omission, not commission. We all know committing adultery, getting drunk, uh, committing fornication, stealing, uh, being bitter against somebody. How many of us know coveting something that doesn't belong to you? Those are sins of commission. We know those are bad. How about the sin of not praying? How about the sin of not forgiving? How about the sin of not humbling ourselves? Those are more subtle, aren't they? How about the sin of not preaching the gospel to somebody? How about the sin of not, you fill in the blank. We know what we're supposed to do, but we're just, isn't that mediocrity? I'm not going to rebel. I'm not going to go out and commit some horrendous sin. But I'm not going to do this. Ooh, it's something to be overcome. And if we do. You know what I love about this? There's a promise. The Lord, He always leaves us with hope if we will we we'll respond in faith. You open the door, I'll sup with you. I, I'll come in. We'll be we'll have close personal communion and fellowship. And if you overcome, I'll give you a crown. And uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Amen. Amen.